Well, hi, I'm Patrick Schwenk, and I am so thankful that you are listening in with me today at Root Like Faith. It is our deepest desire to encourage and equip men and women to be rooted in God's Word, transformed by the love of Jesus, and moved by His mission in the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing is more important. Well, today I'm really excited uh, because we have a special guest and we're going to be talking about how real deep change happens, how we can get past just changing our behavior and really experience deep transformation of the heart. And so I can't wait to share with you today's episode and introduce you to our guest. And so let's get started. Well, I am really grateful to have Dr. Steve Porter on Root Like Faith today. He is professor of theology and philosophy at Biola University in La Mirada, California. He completed his PhD in philosophy at the University of Southern California under Dallas Willard. And you can read his full bio in the show notes uh, at rootlikefaith.com. Most of you that are are listening, you've heard me talk about my own doctoral studies at Biola. I studied uh, discipleship at, at Talbot School of Theology, which of course is a part of Biola University. And Steve was my faculty advisor and oversaw my research and dissertation. He's become a good friend over the last four years and has had to put up with me emailing him what, what feels like about every other week, uh, asking him questions. And so uh, grateful to have him on with us today. And so Steve, welcome to Root Like Faith. It's great to be with you, Pat. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed uh, our time together when you were at Talbot and it's good to still be in touch with you. I, I'm glad we still have these kind of opportunities to, to continue the, the discussion we started there. Well, thank you. I feel like I have learned so much from you uh, over the last four years, just about spiritual formation or discipleship transformation. So I feel like anything that I say on this podcast or anything I say about discipleship, I, I probably ought to just attribute back to you. And so I, I really am grateful for uh, just the, the influence you've had uh, on my life personally and the influence you're having on uh, many of those that, that are listening in. And so as we get started, I'd love for you just to share uh, with our listeners what, what originally got you interested in discipleship or spiritual formation formation? Yeah, that's a great question, Pat, and I appreciate you appreciating me because I think that's that's what I was going to say, is I think that appreciation for, for other folks who come into our lives at various stages along the way that God uses to kind of open up uh, maybe a new insight or a new vista, a new, a new picture of what uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus and and how we can grow in Him. So so for me, it it, it, it there's there's a whole list of folks that I want to uh, you know think about and 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 thank and have thanked over the years. And and one one place that I kind of one stage that I go back to is um, is in my really my college years, my undergrad college years, where I felt very stuck spiritually. And um, I think I thought the Christian life was pretty much you get saved and you read your Bible every day, you try really hard not to sin, and you try to get other people saved. And I think that was, um, you know, more or less at some level what I thought the Christian life was about. Um, and and of course, if you can kind of get your theology right along the way, you know that's kind of bonus points or something. But really, for me, it was it, it was kind of all about ministry. And and so, as a college student, I was you know in a, in a very minimal way, you know, as much as you can get a, get burned out in your early twenties. I was getting burned out. I was I was feeling very empty, very lonely, even though I had a lot of uh, friends. Uh, I was very involved in the church, very involved in lots of ministry activity, but um, but it was all coming out of a, a kind of a deep um, emptiness, and and I was uh, getting tired and drained, 
And I thought to myself that if this is what uh, the Christian life is, then then I'm in real trouble. And um, and and there are various folks that God brought into my life in those days that that helped me realize that there was more to it than that. But but one of them was uh, a teacher who began to talk about actually his this particular teacher's name was Gary Stratton, and he began to talk about this. Uh, the, he used the language of spiritual formation. And I just never heard that language before, and, and I think I partly listened because it sounded um, different than what I had heard, and I, I heard names like Dallas Willard and Eugene Peterson and, and Richard Foster and Marva Dawn and people like that, and um, and it, 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 I didn't really understand what they were saying, uh, but I did. it gave me hope that perhaps the way I was going about uh, the Jesus way, the way I was going about following Jesus and and um, and growing in Him, that that it wasn't the only way, or that I had a distorted or a narrow vision of what that was. So so, uh, and it turned out I did, and and I'm still learning and still realizing that <laughs> right. there's 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 more to it than I thought. So that's that's been a big part of my early journey, and then from there on, I just I, I think God has just really given me the the um, the, the opportunity to do this for a living, so to speak, where my teaching and my writing, uh, a lot of my reading is on this topic. And so um, I feel blessed to, to, to go into, you know, work every day one way or another and, 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 and think and pray and, and read and write and teach about um, how to become more like Jesus. Yeah. I, I can't think of a, of a better, better way to spend, spend my day. Not a bad gig. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, let's let's start really big, and I'd love to to sort of tie this into to what you were just talking about. I love you know what you're saying there, where it's sort of like you had this vision of what the Christian life was was all about, and and you began to realize that that God has so much more for you, and so much more for us that he, that He meant so much more um, in this Jesus way. And so, I'd love for you to kind of unpack that a little bit more, uh, along with along with this next question. And this is maybe a really basic question. I mean, as you know, I mean, the word disciple appears in the gospel several hundred times. And so what does the Bible mean for, for our listeners? I mean, what does the Bible mean when, um, when it uses that word and how have you found just gaining a, a greater understanding of what it means to be a disciple, to be different than what you thought, you know, back when you were in your, your late teens or, or you in your twenties? Yeah, so I think I think understanding the term disciple and then therefore discipleship is crucially important. Uh, I mean, when Jesus comes to earth, we have to think about this, right? The second person of the Trinity, God is going to show up incarnate in the first century. And what language is Jesus going to use to announce the availability of his father's uh, kingdom. You know what language is Jesus going to turn to? And and of course he uses lots of language. You know we are we are he's the good shepherd. We are the sheep. He's the vine. We are the branches. But the the term that Jesus and the gospel writers uh, return to time and time again, and really the term the concept that Jesus starts with. If you think of Matthew's gospel when he calls his first disciples, he says, "Come and follow me." And this language of of following, and then shortly thereafter in Matthew five, it uses the term, the Greek term mathetos, which is translated disciple. This this concept of following and 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 coming into a discipleship relationship was was a commonly understood uh, way of of understanding education in the first century, both by the Greeks and by the Jewish um, folks of that time. So so a disciple is really, and I think we've done some damage by 
by translating methetas, disciple, that we probably should translate it learner or student or, or apprentice. Uh, really, a disciple is someone who attached themselves to a master, someone who attached themselves to a rabbi in the Jewish context, and, and they really devoted—their their life became about— uh, following that particular person and learning from them their view of the world. So in the in the Jewish system, if you were a disciple of a rabbi, what you learned was the rabbi's interpretation of Torah uh, of the of the Old Testament. Yep. And so you you studied with that rabbi, and not only their their kind of uh, you know uh, interpretation of the Torah, but you also studied their practices. How do they how do they study Torah? How do they live their life? How do they pray? And so we see, for instance, that Jesus's disciples, um, at least one and perhaps two of them, were formerly disciples of John the Baptist. And so at one point, Jesus's disciples come to him and say, "Jesus, teach us to pray." like John the Baptist taught his disciples. So we know in that context that there was this common mode of of being under someone's authority and teaching yep. and learning from them. So so then if we if we understand discipleship as as being students of Jesus, apprentices not just of what Jesus believed, right. uh, but also of how Jesus lived human life. Then when we come to faith in Jesus, we don't just uh, put our trust in his atoning work on the cross. Of course, we do put our trust in his atoning work on the cross, but we don't just put our uh, uh, trust in, in what Jesus did on the cross. We, we put our trust in the person of Jesus, that he knew how to live, yeah. and he knew how to uh, bring his followers into a reconciled relationship with his father in his father's kingdom or, or under his father's rule in his father's reign. So then the Christian life opens up into a whole process of learning from Jesus and and our fellow disciples, our fellow followers, um, what it means to be his people and what it means to live uh, like Jesus did and to, and to take on the characteristics that Jesus had because we're learning from him how to be like him. So, so discipleship in that sense opens up I mean, it's it's a it's a whole it's a it's it's a it's a term terminology and it's a whole way of just understanding what Christian salvation is. Salvation yeah. is a is a life and yep. it's a way of life. Yep. And and Jesus is is our uh, is is the way that we get uh, ushered into this life. And then he stays with us by his spirit. So he doesn't yeah. he doesn't leave us alone. Yeah. And, and I think that that, you know, sort of picking up there, I think that you know, I had grown up in the church. My dad was a pastor. He was a church planner. You know, I'd been to Moody Bible Institute for four years of, of undergrad. I think I had a master's in, in ministry. And it really, I, I guess it really wasn't until I started uh, my doctoral studies at Biola that I, that I really fully understood or, or was, was getting a better understanding of, of really what it meant to be a disciple. And, and then it really sort of began for me to, you know, I, I think for so long I misunderstood then what it meant to be discipled. And so I went mm. through again, growing up in the church, going off to Bible college, even having a master's thinking that boy, because I never had a, a mentor or an older person who was more mature in the faith, um, meet with me on a weekly basis or every other week that, that somehow I was not being discipled. And so I'd love to hear you speak to that, because I think that, that most people have this, then this idea, um, okay, th this is what Jesus is calling me to be a, a disciple. But I think most of us sometimes struggle with what it means to be discipled. And so why is that not really a, the complete picture of what it means to be discipled? 
Yeah, that's a great question, Pat. And and I think it's crucial to to really start there and maybe the place to to have people think about or we can think together just about uh, Matthew 28 and the and the and Jesus's great commission where he says to his disciples, his first century disciples to to go into all the world. Uh, and and make disciples of 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 all people um and and one of the we just need to i mean there's a lot to say about what he goes on to say but we can stop right there when he said go into all the world and make disciples he wasn't uh, encouraging his disciples to make disciples of themselves so it wasn't that peter was going to have disciples and matthew was going to have disciples and john was going to have disciples now he was saying to his disciples go and make disciples of me uh, so, so Peter and Matthew and John and the other disciples, when they announced the availability of new life through Jesus, uh, the, the the number that were you know in the Book of Acts, we you know several thousand were added to their day. Well, they were called disciples, and and the several thousands that were added to the the ranks of Jesus followers uh, entered into a discipleship relationship with Jesus. So, so then that means that that we we are all being discipled. That none of us have not been discipled. Uh, so when we ask people, uh, yeah, have you been discipled? I think for various historical reasons, people tend to think. It means some, you know, older, more mature believer coming alongside them in a one-on-one relationship, life-on-life, or a quad, or a triad, or some sort of discipleship group. And if you haven't gone through that sort of program, you haven't been discipled. And I think the the biblical corrective is no, we've we are all being discipled, and we will will continue to be discipled for the rest of our lives by the person of Jesus. Right. And then what we have to say is, if, if Jesus is the one who's discipling all of us, then what are you and I doing with each other? You know, what are right. what's the body of Christ about? And I think it's—we can call that discipling if, 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 if we want to, but it could confuse matters. It could make, it th- make, make me think that I am being discipled by another human person. I think the better thing to say is— we're, we're one anothering one another. You know, yeah. Paul has all these one another's to comfort one another and teach one another and exhort one another and confess our sins to one another. And so um, the, we're one anothering. It, it's, it's family. We're brothers and sisters. In some ways, um, you know, when we, when we understand discipleship as primarily occurring between us and Jesus, uh, it, it it makes discipleship much more intensive because it's 24-7. It's, it's always going on with Jesus. And it also makes my relationship with brothers and sisters in the body of Christ more intensive because now— I'm not just discipling that brother or that sister. I'm I'm brothering that brother, yeah, or I'm yeah. you know I'm coming alongside that sister as 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 family. We're family. Yeah. It's not enough to just meet with them once a week and read the Bible together and memorize some scripture and say, well, I've done my discipleship duties. No, I, I, I'm that person's brother, and they're my brother or sister, and so we're coming alongside one another and we're saying, okay, what Lord? How Lord, in our discipleship to you, Jesus, how are you? wanting us to encourage one another? How are you wanting us to teach one another? How are you wanting us to to comfort or counsel one another? And so it really opens up relationships within the body of Christ to become something actually much more than what a lot of discipleship relationships currently are, where where if a discipleship relationship oftentimes, again, can be like a once a week meeting or something like that. No, 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 we're not going to get off the hook that easy. We're, we're much more involved in each other's lives because we're family. We're yeah. God's our father and, and, and we are now brothers and sisters. So, so that's how I would kind of reconfigure that 
idea that we need to wait around. Now, let me just say one last thing, Pat, which is that it is certainly a wonderful thing for an older adult, you know, more mature, whether they're older or not, a more mature believer to come into our lives and really just, you know, pour into us. It's a wonderful thing. Nothing wrong with it. Uh, it should be happening more. I, I just don't think we should call that discipling. I, you know, I don't mm-hmm. think that I don't think that should be our model of what a what a ideal discipleship relationship is. I'd rather say we're all in an ideal discipleship relationship right. with Jesus. And and now what we're looking for are we're looking for various members of the body of Christ to to you know to come alongside us and we're looking to do that with others and then that turns if we want to use the language of discipling there then that turns all sorts of interactions into discipling interactions yeah. where just you know chance encounter chance encounters with a with a fellow Christian can yeah. be a moment of discipleship because you don't need some sort of formal relationship it's it's just the body of Christ functioning as as it was intended yeah yeah I can think of a perfect example that my own life was yeah I think it was about four years ago when we moved into the house that we're in right now and you know we had a, a lot of our friends over who were helping us you know move things in and we were were in the process of, of moving our, I think maybe it was our daughter's bed into her room. And, and it was, um, you know, it was late in the day and, and I'm tired and I'm stressed and I'm, I'm, you know, probably nothing like Jesus at the moment. And I don't know what happened or who hit the side of, of the bed, but, but it fell against this, you know, this drywall and just put a huge gouge, you know, huge gouge uh, in the wall. Yeah. And, uh. and, and one of my brother, one of my friends, you know, who was a, it was a part of our, our church plant, you know, I think he could tell I was, I was ready for a complete meltdown and, and I'll never forget. He just said, Oh, this is not a big deal. He said, we can patch this. And, and just his, um, patience and calm in that moment was a mm. discipleship moment for me. And, and so it's exactly what you're talking about. I think had we, had they not been around, you know, who knows how I would have responded or reacted. And, and yet in that moment, I learned so much from him in terms of how he reacted and, and how he handled that situation. And so I think you're exactly right. I mean, the, the discipling of that we're getting from Jesus is the ideal disciple relationship. And yet we're called to, to one another. We're, we're called to, to be brothers and sisters. And that becomes the, the more common language throughout the rest of the new Testament. And, and so I just love that picture. And I think that, that so often we, we have an idea um, that we're not being discipled if we're not in, in uh, that particular relationship with an older, more mature believer. And so I just love that, that reminder that we're all being discipled by Jesus. We're in Christ and he is in us. And, and yet we're also connected in a real way to one another. And uh, we're, um, you know, refining and encouraging and spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. I love that. I'd love for you to kind of talk now about this, this practice of confessing your sins all the way down. I know this is one of the things that you had us do when we were, uh, I think it was in the first year of residency and we had about an hour and you uh, encouraged us to, to go do this practice or this exercise for about an hour on campus. And it was something that was so helpful to me. And it's something that I, I continue uh, to do today. I mean, that was four years ago. And it's still something that, that I think about and will will do almost every single week on a nightly walk. And so I'd love for you to kind of unpack that. What, what does it mean to confess your sins all the way down? And, and how does God use that to really transform us from the inside out? Yeah, I, I, I'm with you, Pat. That that practice of confessing sin all the way down um, is has been very powerful in my life and continues to be. And I, I just come to think of this as really what 
Jesus and the other biblical authors, what they really meant by confession. I mean, Jesus is quite clear that that our sins come out of our hearts. And so to 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 just confess my behavioral sin and not look at the heart issues out of which that behavioral sin is flowing um, is just not, in a sense, is to really not confess my sin because the deeper issue is is an internal issue. Uh, the other way that, that the biblical authors, Paul, will use the, the language of not just the deeds of the flesh, but the desires of the flesh. And, and so when we sin behaviorally, um, we at some level, we wanted to. Uh, we had a desire to do it. You know, I think of lying as an example. If I if I'm tempted to lie, or if I lie to someone and or tell a half truth, or or kind of withhold the truth, well, I'm not just doing that for no reason. It didn't just kind of happen. It's no. There's a motivation there. There's a desire there. I I, I don't want to be embarrassed, or I don't I don't want to experience conflict. So it's easier to to tell my wife that you know I did something that I didn't do just so that she doesn't get angry. And 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 so it's it's not enough to say I'm sorry I lied. I also need to say, and here's why I lied, mm-hmm. Lord. I lied because I didn't. At some level, as I as I confess that sin beneath the behavior to really what was the desire? What was I trying to do? Well, I was trying to protect myself from, you know, my wife's disappointment, let's say. Okay, Lord, so that's what's really going on. Now, why am I so concerned about my wife's disappointment? Well, you know, when she gets disappointed, I feel bad. Okay, okay, Lord, so why do I feel bad? You know, and you can begin to follow that down. And and really all all of sin is ultimately rooted in a lack of of deep faith and grounding in in God, in his love, in his grace, in his truth. And so at some level, when we when we confess our sins down, we're gonna eventually come to some place where we realize, oh, I see why. I did that. I don't trust you, God. Yeah. Oh, I see why I lied. I see why I was lusting. I see why I was, uh, you know, uh, maybe trying to take on, you know, working too much. I'm a workaholic. I'm, I'm kind of, or I'm too uh, concerned about my finances or whatever the issue might be. We, we begin to see at a deep level, there's a lack of dependence, a lack of trust, a lack of confidence in God's provision, in his love. And so now, now, once we see that, as we and we need the Holy Spirit's help with that, sometimes we're going to need, or maybe oftentimes we're going to need other brothers and sisters to help us kind of sort through that. But once we come to that deeper level, now there's a place to really interact with the Lord about, okay, God, so how do you want to transform me from the inside out? I'm, I'm not just doing this behavior for, for no reason. There's a deep there's a deep story to be told, and we don't have to get that story exactly right. I think God, by His Spirit, will help us kind of get enough of a handle on it that that we know how to move forward. But um, but once we kind of uncover perhaps some of the deeper heart issues, now we know where we need healing. Now we know where we need some sort of uh, practice that might expose us to God's truth or expose us to God's people in a way that's going to bring or just expose us to God himself in a way that's going to bring about a, a deeper transformation. Yeah. So the problem with confessing our sins at the behavioral level and leaving it there is if I just say, oh, God, I'm sorry, 
I, I lied today to my wife, and I promise, Lord, I won't do that again. Well, if that's all I do, now I'm just left with willpower. Yeah. Now I'm yep. just left with, um, well, okay, Lord, so I'm going to try harder. Lord, help me to not not lie tomorrow. Tomorrow, But if I never understand, and the Lord never kind of shows me uh, what's going on beneath the surface, then what really needs to change, what really needs to be transformed, uh, isn't going to be touched, or at least it's it's going to be a lot uh, take a lot longer for it yep. to be touched. So if we can really cooperate with with uh, with Jesus in that we'll begin to see I think more of the of the Christ-like transformation that yeah. that he has on offer yeah it's so good you know when I was uh, recovering from my I think it was my second stem cell transplant I, I would go out and walk the neighborhood you know a lot and, and so that was sort of one of the ways I was trying to recover in and I would oftentimes do that in the evening I would, I would kind of take a walk in the morning but then I would also take one later in the evening and it was such a, a good practice for me to, to sort of just push the rewind button of my day. And, and again, this is a practice that I, that I still do today, just sort of push the rewind and, and ask God to show me like, what, what were those sins that, that, you know, where, where did I fall short today? Where did I get angry? Where did I lust? Where, where did I lack patience or where was I self-righteous? Where did I get defensive? And, and it's exactly what you're talking about of not just stopping there, not just naming those sins, but then what were the desires that, that led me to sin? What was the sin underneath the sin or the desire underneath the sin? And I remember one of the things you talked about um, is a part of that practice, too, that there was always some kind of relational deficit that was connected to that mm-hmm. desire. There's always something I'm looking to get out of that sin that I'm not getting from God. And uh, that, that has always stuck with me. I love that. And so for those of us that, uh, that love to walk, I used to be a runner and now I'm a walker. Um, th- that's just a really <laughs> practical, simple way to just uh, invite God into those walks. And, and uh, it's just a great opportunity to allow the Holy Spirit to kind of search us. And, and like you said, mm-hmm. get beneath the sin to get to that desire and, and then ask the question, where's the relational deficit? Is there somewhere in there that I'm not trusting God or that I'm, maybe I'm trying to be God? And so uh, I really, yeah. I really appreciate that. And, and so that has been a, a practice that I, I continue to do today. One last question, you know, I think oftentimes when we think about discipleship and, and following Jesus, you know, transformation, spiritual growth, whatever phrase you want to use, I think it's easy to get discouraged. It's, it's easy to, to get stuck at times or to feel like, boy, I'm just not changing as quickly as I, as I'd like to. Um, what one piece of advice or encouragement would you give to somebody who, who's listening right now who might be in that place? They just sort of feel stuck spiritually and, um, and they're maybe discouraged about where they're at. Well, I mean, this is probably going to uh, not sound like encouragement, but but I'll, <laughs> I, I hope it does. Which I, I want to say something like this: If I mean, there's a lots to say, and and of course, getting getting uh, really understanding why someone's stuck and and where they're stuck yeah, is very yeah. important. But but I think the thing I want to say is that. You know, if you're stuck, um, that's a that's a sign that God is really at work, mm-hmm. uh, because because you wouldn't be feeling that conflict, you wouldn't be feeling that that pressure, if the Spirit of God wasn't pushing you further in and further up. So mm-hmm. so stuck is a real is a real issue, but but there's something um, you know there's something that we should be really encouraged by when we experience uh, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and see, part of stuck is really the conviction, because, again, you, just, you wouldn't feel like there's a problem if there wasn't some kind of pressure saying, 
this isn't quite right. Now, of course, we might be, it might be false guilt. It might be, we might be being too hard on ourselves. But even there, that's a kind of stuckness. And it's still a, there's still a pressure. There's still a pain. There's still a little notification, right? It's like that, that, that blinking light on the dashboard that says, hmm, something's not right here. And, and it becomes an opportunity with, with the Lord and with his people to, to again, in, in, in kind of the way we were talking, to kind of begin to reflect with the Lord, search me, O God, know my heart, try to understand what's really going on. But the basic thing I would say, at least at the, just the initial level, is being stuck is a wonderful place to be. I'm actually more concerned about people who claim they're not stuck. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, people who who are who are doing the Christian life and it's, you know, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. That that concerns <laughs> me a little bit because I think, huh, I'm not sure that many of the saints of the church, many of the people we look at and say, wow, you know, that person it, it really grew in Christ. I'm not sure many of them would, would say every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day right. before. I mean, maybe there's a sense in which that's true. But most of the stories we're going to hear are stories of trial, of stories of tribulation, of stories of feeling stuck and then experiencing God uh, through his people, through his word, through various disciplines, you know, experiencing God break through. So I would just say, you know, he who began a good work in you is going to bring it to completion. Yeah. And and being stuck is a is a normal part of the process. And yeah. and to hang in there with it and 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 pray about it, ask God to reveal it to you. Uh, and also, you know, make sure you're talking to other wise uh, friends and counselors about about the places where you are stuck. It's so good. I love that. I have um, just really appreciated our conversation today. So thank you again. I know our listeners will as well. So thank you again for your your time and your expertise and all of your years of, of education. And so um, as always, uh, those of you that are listening, you can go to our show notes on rootlikefaith.com forward slash podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at Patrick W. Schwenk and Ruth Schwenk or on Facebook. And as if I don't say it enough already, we are thrilled that you are joining us and we welcome you into our family here at Root Like Faith. And so be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcast uh, so you don't miss an episode. 